Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Sebro, and welcome to the definitive rap, where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The Definitive Rap is proud to be the official podcast of VinNews.com. You know, for decades, the Palestinianists have used every method from warfare to terror to media manipulation to outright slander and propaganda. Today, they are engaged in the lowest form of propaganda, and that is the invoking of the Holocaust to advance their own agenda, which was formulated on a mythical history invented over 70 years ago. Many of them have engaged in Holocaust denial, but that doesn't usually move the needle very far in garnering support. So now they have opted for comparing their history to that of the Jewish people. Not only do they cheapen and insult the memory of the six million Jews murdered by the Nazis, but now they engage in moral relativism. Yes, they say the Holocaust took place, but so did the Palestinian Holocaust. Yes, they acknowledge the Jews suffered dehumanization, but now they are doing the same to us. Our guest today, Richard Kravatz, President Emeritus of Scholars for Peace in the Middle East, whom Bela will introduce shortly, has written extensively on this topic. His most recent columns include a two-part series entitled The Lie of Israelis Being the New Nazis, Exposing the Grotesque and Evil Campaign of Nazifying Israelis, and his most recent column, Anti-Semites should not define anti-Semitism, and that column addresses the left's rejection of the 2016 Internal Holocaust Remembrance Association's working definition of anti-Semitism because the left insists on its right to slander and delegitimize Israel without it falling under anti-Semitism. Bela? Thank you, Alan. The new age of anti-Semitism has reached a whole new level. When the world is at the point that Israelis are being compared to committing the same brutality and savagery of Nazis, humanity has reached the pinnacle of anti-Semitism. The appalling facet of it is not just that it's a tremendous insult to Israel, but it also diminishes the atrocities against Jews who were barbarically slaughtered in the most horrific ways during the Third Reich. And what we will be discussing today is what is referred to as the Nazification of the Israelis. The reality is that absolutely no comparison can be made between the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the atrocities committed by the Nazis against the Jews. Nor can Israeli actions or policies be characterized as acts of ethnic cleansing or even genocide. With us today to talk about this issue is Richard L. Kravetz, PhD, author of Dispatches from the Campus War Against Israel and Jews and Genocidal Liberalism, the University's Jihad Against Israel and Jews. He is President Emeritus of Scholars for Peace in the Middle East. Uh, Richard 
credentials are such that one cannot condense his life's work, no matter how hard you try. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to mention a, a couple of more things because there's just no way to condense such work. Richard is the creator and founding director of Boston University's program in publishing and digital media at BU Center for Professional Education and former professor of practice and director of the master's program in communications management at Simmons College School of Management. Dr. Kravetz has also taught 20 courses in advertising, marketing, communications, consumer behavior, public relations, magazine publishing, and other areas at Tufts University, Simmons College, Florida Atlantic University, Kaiser University, UMass Boston, Suffolk University, Babson College, uh, Wentworth Institute, Emerson College, Northeastern University, Emanuel College, and others. Dr. Kravitz has published over 450 articles, op-ed pieces, and scholarly papers on campus anti-Semitism, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, campus free speech, terrorism, constitutional law, Middle East politics and social policy in the Boston Globe, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Newsweek, Chicago Tribune, Palm Beach Post, Baltimore Sun, Boston Herald, Orange County Register, American Thinker, Jewish Press, Human Events, Harvard Crimson, Front Page Magazine, Times of Israel, and many others. Clearly, you know, we're going to be spending two hours just talking about it. Uh, and we, you know, we, I know Dr. Gravetz has so much to offer us today on the, on the topic. Um, he also lectures nationally on the topic of higher education, academic freedom, and the Middle East, and has been a frequent guest on radio talk shows. In addition to serving as a member of the Board of Directors of Scholars for Peace in the Middle East, Dr. Corvettes is also a board member of the Journal for the Study of Anti-Semitism, the AMCHA Initiative, the Israel Group, the Louis D. Brandeis Center for Human Rights Under Law, and the Florida Chapter of the Zionist Organization of America, an advisory board member of the Endowment for Middle East Truth, and the Gross Family Center for the Study of Anti-Semitism and the Holocaust and a member of SBME's Council of Scholars. Richard, welcome back to the Definitive Wrap. This is a- an amazing pleasure for us, and we are so grateful that you are joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Richard, what is the purpose of the campaign to um, metamorphose Israel to the world as a Third Reich state? And when did this start? Uh, My colleague, Richard Landis from Boston University, called the um, assigning of Israel as the new Nazis as a form of moral sadism, which I think is sort of interesting. And it's typical of what Melanie Phillips called the world turned upside down, where truth has become fiction and fiction is trying to become truth. And nowhere is that more evident than in the way that the Palestinians and their enablers in the West and the Western elites and in academia have tried to transform them into a perennial victim. And how can you better make someone a victim than make them the supposed victim of a new form of Nazism, Ah. which, which has been a continuing campaign It's particularly cruel when assigned to Israel, of course, because many Israelis are the descendants or actual victims of the actual Third Reich's perversions and 
extermination. So making Israel into the Nazi of nations now is both grotesque, untrue, and uh, sadistic, as Dr. Landis put it. This, of course, is a way of Israel's enemies of perpetrating the lie and fiction that of all the nations on earth, the behavior of Israel towards the ever-aggrieved Palestinians is the worst behavior, worse than Syrians' interscene slaughter of its own citizens with poison gases, where 50,000 children have probably been killed, millions made into refugees, half a million murdered by their own leaders, famines, all kinds of wars that have taken place uh, since the Second World War. And yet only Israel is condemned by the United Nations for human rights abuse. Uh, even though it's evident to any clear thinking person that Israel represents the only working functioning democracy in the Middle East in a sea of authoritarian regimes where there is no freedom, no human rights, and the Arab and Muslim and Christian citizens of Israel have more rights than they would in any country surrounding Israel. So the irony is that the most free state, the closest Western-style democracy with an open judiciary, a free press, human rights for all citizens, is made into the reincarnation of the Third Reich as if they are perpetrating a genocide. And so this latest effort on the part of the Palestinians and their enablers to make the Nakba, which they call the creation of Israel, which means catastrophe, into an event that instead of uh, representing the development and creation of a new democratic state, for them now represents, and they want the world to see it as a catastrophe, as a Holocaust, even though Israel actually lost 1% of its population at the time in that war of independence, which was 6,000 people. That would be equivalent in America for 3 million people to be die, to die in a war of independence, 3 million, 1% of their population was killed. And the casualties on the Israeli side were probably equivalent to on the Palestinian side. And despite the fact that the Palestinians have always claimed that Israel ethnically cleansed an indigenous people and purged them out of Palestine and made them into refugees, Ephraim Karsh, the historian, has noted that probably 60% of the Palestinians and their leaders had left in anticipation of the War of Independence prior to all the fighting coming out. And in fact, the Israeli leadership at the time was begging the Palestinians to stay and become part of the new state. So this myth about a the Nakba, the catastrophe, a holocaust that Israel perpetrated on an indigenous, innocent peoples, uh, to create a Jewish sovereignty is in is itself a myth. And you have to remember, of course, that the Arabs were offered a state simultaneously with the creation of Israel, which they summarily rejected, just as they did 
1937, in 1947, in 1967, in 2000, in 2005, and on other dates, whenever they're offered a state, which is what they purportedly seek, they, they walk away because the existence of a Palestinian state is never and has never been the object. The object is the extermination and elimination of the Jewish state because the idea of a Jewish sovereignty in a sea of Muslim land and once land is under Muslim control, it is considered to be Muslim land in perpetuity. So the idea of a Jewish sovereignty in the midst of a Muslim and Arab world is an abomination for, for the Arab world. And particularly in a culture, an honor-shame culture, where the idea of being defeated by a Jewish entity and then seeing that Jewish entity grow into a thriving Western-style democracy uh, with enormous economic growth and all other signs of viability while they're languishing is another uh, prick in their pride. So their shame in having been defeated by this Jewish power is exacerbated. So the, the Nazification is a way of making is anything that Israel does look exaggeratedly more serious and that they are not only uh, a colonial occupier of Arab land, but they are a brutal, militaristic, sadistic, and inhumane uh, occupier that randomly murders and oppresses a helpless victim group of indigenous, supposedly indigenous people. You know, Dr. Kravatz, you brought up something and it's the perfect segue into what I was going to ask you about. Uh, two nights ago, I joined a webinar uh, for Canadians for Justice and Peace in the Middle East. And the subject was their campaign to have the Canadian Museum for Human Rights include the Nakba in their genocide exhibit alongside the Holocaust. And for 10 years, they've been politely rejected. But ever since the George Floyd incident in Minnesota, somehow it turned around everything on its head all over North America, where now that museum has now diversified their entire board. And now they are discussing actually including the Nakba as a genocide. And what these... um. Arab activists have said was that who are we who you know who has the right to decide whose genocide is worse and this is part and parcel of them now equi equivalizing if that's the right word their nakba uh with that of the holocaust and but this has been an ongoing campaign for many years you know the palestinians have learned and i predicted this would happen 30 years ago they would learn how to manipulate the media. They know that words like racist are trigger words. They know that South that apartheid is a trigger word. South Africa, apartheid. They know that ethnic cleansing is a trigger word because of Bosnia. And they know that the Holocaust is a major trigger word. So they have always hijacked other legitimate uh, tragedies, human rights abuses, uh, to create their own history. 
And I think that part of our fault is, and now we have to combat this, is that we have to reject that there was anything called a Nakba. They can call whatever they want, but we have to challenge its legitimacy. Because as long as we allow them to perpetuate this myth that they did undergo a Nakba, they can say, well, you have your tragedies and we have ours. And we have to actively deny that there ever was a Palestinian uh, catastrophe or for lack of a better term their own nakba because it did not exist and as long as we allow them to perpetuate it they will continue to go down this road of comparing theirs to other real catastrophes whether it's the holocaust rwanda was of course you know on a much smaller scale than the holocaust but it was a half a million people massacred there and then you had the ethnic ethnic cleansing in bosnia in the 90s so this is part and parcel of what they're doing and we're not doing anything to fight back. I know that you're writing about it, but there's just so much more work to do. And I was just wondering, do you have any more information about where they are going from here? Well, this is not atypical of the construction of a mythology, a new narrative about the Palestinians and, and how they've been treated by Israel and, and how they've suffered and, and what their actual history is. The whole idea that... And you see when liberals and supporters of the Palestinians talk uh, or at a rally when they're saying Palestine will be free from the river to the sea, the assumption in that statement is that there was a country called Palestine that was occupied by a people called Palestinians, that it was an independent sovereign nation, and that after World War II, some European Jews after the Holocaust showed up stole that land and created Israel it, on top of what had been Palestine. Well, Palestine was a territory. It was never a sovereignty, as we all know. But it's spoken of by Palestinian supporters and by the Palestinians themselves as a sovereignty, as an entity, as a country that was stolen by the Jews. So that, that whole mythology has been expanded on and, and is accepted as true because I play a clip during my speeches of a rally at Berkeley University. And the, there's several signs, but they're chanting, first of all, a grotesque chant, Intifada, Intifada, long live Intifada. And I say to them, here you have social justice warriors on a campus who think of themselves as the most woke and uh, tolerant people on that entire campus. And here they are calling for an intifada. What is the intifada? It was, it, it's the Arabs murdering Israelis in the name of Palestinian self-determination. So here you have American kids on a college campus who are the most tolerant kids on campus calling for the death of Jews on behalf of the Palestinian cause. But the other part of that chant is Palestine will be free from the river to the sea. And this is the same motif and, and ambition that Yasser Arafat had when he formed the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization, liberating Palestine as if Palestine had been occupied and stolen by the Jews. That's not what happened. That's how it's depicted. So that whole notion is a rewriting of history. It's not the facts. There was never a Palestine. There was a nation. There was never a Palestinian people. That has been a creation that started in the 1960s, as we all know, as you and I know, but obviously many people don't know it 
or don't believe it or don't want to believe it. The whole idea of erasing Jewish history and the connection to the Holy Land and to Jerusalem is part and parcel of this process you're just talking about. Martin Kramer, the Middle Eastern expert, called this the Arabs' inclination to reverse history and to rewrite history to conform with their own views of how they wanted. You know, at the Camp David meeting, Yasser Arafat went up to President Clinton and told him there was never a temple on the Temple Mount. It was in, if there, he said it might have been in Nablus. Well, everybody knows that there were two temples on the Temple Mount centuries before Muhammad was even born. But as recently as a few years ago, UNESCO was trying to designate the Western Wall as a Muslim holy place. Here you have a, a, a part of the UN designating the Western Wall, which was walls of a, a temple that predated Islam by 1500 years, trying to make it as if it was a Muslim holy site. What's the purpose of that? To give Muslims a new uh, place to visit? No, it's to diminish the Jewish claim to Jerusalem and to the Holy Land. Because if you de-Judaize Jerusalem and the whole area of what they consider Palestine, you, you diminish the, the Jewish claim to that area. Uh, you diminish the historic claim, the biblical claim, and you ignore any claims that Israel has by virtue of the fact that they acquired the West Bank and Gaza during a defensive war, and therefore the title to that land by law goes to them. So this, this um, process of trying to make the Palestinian experience of being expelled from what became Israel and calling it a Nakba and trying to make it equivalent to a Holocaust is another step in rewriting the history in creating a, a narrative about how Arab Palestinian suffering is not only equivalent to Jewish suffering, but it's worse. And if how do we do that? And the other reason that they want the Nakba to be considered a Holocaust is that it diminishes the moral claims that Jews have because of the actual Holocaust. And you see signs quite frequently in, in pro-Palestinian demonstrations on college campuses where they have Auschwitz equals Gaza. Um, one of the, at UC Irvine, there was a, a event called the Politics of Genocide. There was another event held there called Holocaust in the Holy Land. So this idea that the Israelis are are continuing to perpetrate a Holocaust even now against the Palestinians. Think about how irrational this is and how ahistorical it is. About 450,000 so-called Palestinians were expelled or left what became Israel in 1948. 450,000. Now there's five to seven million Palestinian refugees. Well, what kind of a genocide is it when 450,000 Palestinians have, have grown into five to seven million? If Israel is perpetrating a genocide, they're not doing a very good job of it. And obviously, if they wanted to exterminate all of the Arabs and refugees, they could do that with a click of a button. That's clearly not going on here. This is this is part of 
neutralizing or diminishing Jewish suffering, Jewish history, Jewish attachment to Israel and Jerusalem specifically, um, and diminishing any claim that Jews might have for, for legitimately being there, ignoring law, ignoring history, and creating a new history that's, that's a fable. And yet so much of the Western world and academics and elites and the UN accept this is true. It's outrageous. But, but this is this newest event, which you just mentioned about the Canadian Nakba trying to transform it into being designated as a Holocaust, that both is an, another form of anti-Semitism. It's, it's Holocaust minimization, where you minimize the actual Holocaust. But it's also Holocaust inversion, where you accuse Israel of perpetrating a Holocaust, when in fact, Dr. no Kravetz, such happened. Yeah. Dr. Kravetz, in your recent article, Times of Israel, you write that anti-Semites should not define anti-Semitism, yet they do. In that same article, you talk about this new group that calls itself the Nexus Task Force. Please tell us about that. Well, uh, the International Holocaust Remembrance Association, as Alan mentioned, has created a working definition of anti-Semitism. And anti-Semitism has changed from the classic anti-Semitism that existed prior to the creation of Israel and even after the creation of Israel for some time. But we're now experiencing what we call a new anti-Semitism. And new anti-Semitism is not the classic tropes of Jews controlling banks and uh, the press and the media and working behind the scenes to manipulate countries into war and profiting and having dual loyalties to, to Israel and, and, and their host country, uh, which were part of European classic anti-Semitism, not including the original one of, of being complicit in the murder of Christ and, and other reasons that people hated Jews for centuries. The new anti-Semitism is a more uh, sneaky form of anti-Semitism because it uses Israel as the Jew of nations so that you can say, oh, I have nothing against Jews. It's just the apartheid, oppressive, militaristic, colonial, usurping uh, Israelis that I detest. And they're the new Nazis and all of those other tropes that we've been talking about today. So the, the IRA definition of anti-Semitism included um, as, as expression of anti-Semitic speech and behavior, such things as uh, denying Jews the right to self-determination, which is saying that Zionism is a form of fascism, that Zionism should be crushed, that Zionism should be eliminated. So that when you have students at City University of New York screaming Zionists off of our campuses and, and saying that the tuition is going up because of the Zionists on the, on the administrative staff and such, that's a form of anti-Semitism where, where you are attacking Zionism as if it was a political ideology and Elisa Lewin, as I mentioned in that article that you just referred to, 
said that Zionism is an essential part of Jewishness, that if you tell a, a student at a university that in order to become part of the woke culture of the campus, they have to deny the Zion, their Zionism, You're, they're denying a part of their Jewishness, a part of their spiritual essence, that Zionism is not like communism or socialism, a, a political ideology. It's a, a self-determination of Jewish people to return to Israel, to create a Jewish homeland, and, and a spiritual return as well to Judaism. So it's perceived by the enemies of Israel as being a political ideology. So people have no problem with denouncing it. Uh, but the IRA definition includes other attacks on Israel where the concentration and obsession with Israel's behavior is so out of proportion to the way that people judge other countries and similar behavior that it, it has to be due to something else going on behind the scenes. And that something else is that it's actually based on an, a hatred of Jews disguised as a hatred of Israel. But Israel is the lone and only Jewish state. And if you obsessively criticize it, if you denounce it, if you call for its extirpation, if you denounce Zionism, if you want to smash Zionism and throw Zionists off of campus, if you don't include Jewish students and call them racist because they support Israel, that's a form of anti-Semitism because you're talking about the Jewish state. And so all of the anti-Israel pro-Palestinian groups on campuses, all the activists, all the academics, all the professors that in Middle Eastern studies departments at Georgetown and Columbia and Berkeley who despise Israel and who attack it obsessively in their work, obviously are put off by the fact that they are now being called what they should be called as anti-Semites because of this new definition. So naturally, these groups like the Jerusalem Declaration group and the Nexus group that you mentioned said, no, 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 we have our own definition. And it's perfectly fine to call for boycotts, divestments, and sanctions against Israel because there's other boycotts for other countries. And why is that anti-Semitic? And so forth. So they don't want to be called anti-Semitic. They want to be able to go on with their activism against Israel to spread their poison to relentlessly attack the Jewish state without any consequences, without being called on their behavior, as if they're operating from some high moral virtuous perch, when in fact, they're haters and they're moral imbeciles in many cases, who, who let their hatred of Jews or the Jewish state over, overtake their rationality and academic credibility in many cases. So that a lot of their work is pseudo-academic, pseudo-science in a way to, to create lies about Israel and to continue with those lies. Do we have time for one more question? Uh, like really one, okay. one, one question, very quick question. I'll, I'll be really we're, quick yeah, on the we're cravats. Be out of time um, you know, we're talking about the Palestinians, but my, my real gripe is 
is uh, people like Peter Beinart, who have gotten away with this. Uh, he's the one who wrote a book called Crisis of Zionism, comparing Israel to Nazism and comparing American Jewish support for Israel as contributing you know, to this Nazi uh, type of treatment. Um, if not now, they're a smaller group, but they're still very active within uh, this current administration. Uh, until the Jewish community, the mainstream Jewish community, Republicans and Democrats alike, go after uh, Peter Beinart, uh, they're going to continue to give cover to all of these left-wing groups. Yeah, it's, and, and think about Jewish Voice for Peace and J right. Street. They pretend that they are pro-peace and pro-Israel, but they want to be fair. But, it, but if, you, if you want to be fair, you have to judge both parties and say, okay, how are you behaving and how are you behaving? The Palestinians are never, by, by Palestinian supporters, and, and it looks like by the Biden administration and by the Obama administration, the Palestinians are never asked to do anything. They, they get concessions from Israel without having to give up anything themselves. They don't deny terrorism. They continue with their incitement. They continue their pay to slave program where they spend $170 million of donor money to pay the families of martyrs who have murdered Jews. Right. I mean, think about that. And Biden just released $17 million. I saw 75 yes. to 90 million. Yes. Yeah. You know. Dr. Kravetz, we're, out, we're running out of time, but just uh, if you could leave us with uh, this thought, uh, do you think the media is contributing to the uh, issue of Nazification of the Israelis? And if so, what can the average person do about it? The average person can't influence the media clearly. Uh, the media have their own agenda. And I think, I think many young reporters and people in the media may be naive and don't know the history. Mm -hmm. They may have grown up thinking about Israel as, as being a bully. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think any right-thinking person can say with a straight face that Israel is acting in, in Nazi-like behavior because we're not seeing piles of Palestinian bodies. Right. You know, they may be denied some rights, but somebody could come to America and go into minority neighborhoods and draw a lot of conclusions about American behavior too, if they did it in a way that Israel is judged. Clearly, it's judged in a way that no other nation on earth is, and it's enabled by the UN and, and other major agencies. Mm -hmm. The media play a role in it, and even and important newspapers like the New York Times, which has always been uh, anti-Israel in its own way, even the Jewish Forward, you read that sometimes, and they're looking for the worst characteristics of yeah. Israel and the worst characteristics of American Jews, and you're wondering how am I reading a, a Jewish newspaper? I mean, they they're so far to the left that they want to show themselves and the world how wonderful and tolerant they are. Right. And so they go out of their way to okay. minimize the goodness of Israel and maximize Thank you. the evils. Okay. Thank you, Dad. We're totally out of time. Thank you so much, Dr. Kravetz, for joining Thank you uh, to our listening audience for tuning in to the Definitive Wrap. Our deepest appreciation to vinews.com for being their official podcast. And um, happy Pesach to all our listening audience and uh, all our good friends and everybody in the world. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. 
Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.